Welcome to the Red Conrad Show, the story of my life and world events how I see them. If you like the show, don't forget to subscribe. Let's get this going. Hi, everyone. This is JJ, the co-founder of Good Pods. If you haven't heard of it yet, Good Pods is like Goodreads or Instagram, but for podcasts. It's new, it's social, it's different, and it's growing really fast. There are more than 2 million podcasts, and we know that it is impossible to figure out what to listen to. On Good Pods, you follow your friends and podcasters to see what they like. That is the number one way to discover new shows and episodes. You can find Good Pods on the web or download the app. Happy listening! Hello, everybody. How you doing? <clears throat> uh, part two of this story is subscriber-only content. Um, so if you're not currently listening on Spotify, please go to Spotify or uh, go to show.redconrad.com and subscribe in order to get at, to get access to uh, part two of this story and. Um, obviously access to all, all future uh, subscriber only content anyways to kind of wrap up the story I believe in the first part and the second part I more or less you know went through most of the nonsense that I had to deal with with this so called business partner and this business that we were trying to operate for the two and a half years <clears throat> that I was with this idiot and his bullshit company. Um, I do regret taking that job offer, like I said in part two. The only thing I don't regret about it is that is where I met Joanne. Um, now, technically, she was working for our competitor. She wasn't working for us, but there were times where <clears throat> she'd ride along and help us with our clients and uh We'd go and help her with her clients just to kind of break up the monotony. Um, most of the time, she she take her uh, family members with her to, you know, keep herself company. She worked by herself. <clears throat> On occasion when that, when that didn't happen, either a couple of us would go with her or I would go with her and We'd knock out her her clients, and she'd come and help knock out ours. Well, at least the overnight ones, anyway. Um, she only had the overnight clients from her boss. <coughs> during the day, she did whatever the hell she did during the damn day. But it was through my business partner that I met her, and I don't know if I would have met her. Had I not taken that job opportunity, had I not put up with all the bullshit on every level, I I, I don't know if I, I would have ever ran into her or met her. And like I said in part two, you know, I didn't, the other jobs I had before I took the business opportunity, um, and, you know, where all me and my friends used to hang out, 
I was never really on the part of the island where she worked and lived. So I don't know if at any point I, if I would have run to her or not. <clears throat> but, you know, I met her through, through him, my business partner. We were friends for, uh, you know, two years before we got together. We had an amazing 12 years together um, before cancer, unfortunately, took her away from me. Uh, and I, honestly, you know, she's the reason why I'm, I, I, she's the reason why I'm so much calmer these days than I was in my past. She helped calm me down a lot about things. Um, she's really the, the, you know, big reason why I kept on pushing myself one business to the next. Um, to my current business I, I've had now for four, little over four years. You know, because, you know, it's something I've always wanted to do. Have my own business, right? Make myself into a success. Into what I feel success is. And she actually believed in me. She supported me. Um, when we lost everything back in New York, she stuck by my side. You know. So, the fact that I met her during this episode of my life is the only thing that made that episode of my life worth it. Now, if you listen to both parts of the show, and you got a general idea, you know, of what I put up with on a daily basis, I, I really mainly went over the worst of the worst situations that took place. I obviously, obviously some of those situations wasn't like, you know, a one-off, said, done thing. You know, obviously, when I, when I stumbled upon the gun running thing, that that wasn't a one-off thing, obviously. They were more likely doing it long before I showed up, long before I stumbled upon it. And I know it was continued until they got caught. Me walking in on the pills operation, obviously, wasn't a one-time, said, and done thing. Obviously, he was doing that long before I arrived. Using the business to funnel the money, and obviously it, it continued after I caught him, um, because it was a little bit after that that you know the pharmacist didn't want to keep his mouth shut no more apparently and ratted him out, and he was arrested. I was detained for four hours, questioned for four hours at the prison before I was finally let go. Um, so obviously certain things that were mentioned were not one-off, said, done thing. I mean, this was like a daily occurrence with this asshole. Like, the, the more I stumbled upon, the, the worse shit got. And I, if you listen to, especially if you listen to both parts of this story, you might be questioning, well, why the fuck did I deal with it for as long as I did? <clears throat> Why didn't I get out of there? <clears throat> I mean, there were times when I was out hitting clients myself. Or it was just me and Joanne, you know, taking care of a couple of my clients or clients. Well, I didn't, I just did. Well, 
it kind of goes like this. Like I said, I don't know if I said it in part one, but I did say it in part two. And I will reiterate it. It wasn't just my life that was being threatened by this jackass. Particularly with the more I noticed, the more I unraveled, and the more this shit that this guy said to me about what he was up to and what he did do in the past. My family came into the picture. Like, he was literally threatening my family. And then, once my brothers started working for us, you know, there was no way I was going to allow my family's lives, you know, be injured because of me. So, I stuck around. I put up with the shit until I found my way out because I didn't want anything to happen to my family. And, uh, like I said, he had... Um, where we lived, there was like about three or four different precincts that all kind of met right there, right? They all kind of overlapped right where we lived. I don't remember which precinct it was that was we were technically in their jurisdiction. Um, but two of those precincts were in his fucking pocket. I can't tell you how many times different things went on. <clears throat> that the cops were called on, <clears throat> and you know mainly with with his kids and and his kids' friends in the backyard doing stupid shit, you know nothing you know at him, and not until he got arrested at the pharmacy. <clears throat> and the cops that pulled up, they were like buddy buddy with him, you know they they didn't even question really. What, I mean it was a brief, this is why we're here, and then that and then that was that. And they just bullshit like they were freaking friends for a hundred years just playing catch-up, you know? And then I, I believe I said I just split my train of thought Um, yeah, like I like I blew I, I said I don't remember if it was part one or part two, but I brought it up Like I said, you know, he had a gay lover that you know, I was told committed suicide. His family believes committed suicide. Right? The story was he came home from work one night, went into his bedroom, and found this dude uh, hanging by an electrical cord, uh, extension cord, from their bedroom shower. But I. It just didn't add up. I mean, I've seen pictures of this other guy, and you know how flimsy that those those you know stand those walking shower type things are. You're not. It's not. No. I, it just didn't. The story didn't add up to me. So I I I felt for a while, you know, that before I got more or less told the truth in his own way, what the real story was. And then, you know, towards the end of everything, before he went to jail, like I said, he had cameras up around his property, and he told me to to, to stand in the kitchen and watch the monitor. And then I'd see him go out the back door downstairs, and then he'd, he'd come back in the front, right? So, and like you said, I, watched, I was able to see him go out the back door, I watched him go around the side of the house, and then he just disappeared. He never popped up in the front of the house. But... He did, however, end up behind me in the kitchen. Well, the way he did it was when he climbed in through his bedroom window. Which, 
more or less right there is him telling me without telling me that he killed the the guy that allegedly committed suicide and he got away with it. I mean, and this is how, I mean, if you listen to both parts of the story, you know that you know this is how he told his stories. When he mentioned he killed somebody, he admitted it without admitting it. Like, he wouldn't incriminate himself exactly. Like, he didn't say, I did this or I did that. <clears throat> but he wouldn't would include himself in the story. And then just the way he say it, the way when he, when he mentioned what happened, like, you just knew that he was behind it. And like I said, his friends and other people that he knew all confirmed a lot of these stories. One of the, one of his friends I met was there for several of these stories. So I had no reason to doubt anything he was saying. I had no reason to doubt anything that he was telling me he was capable of. And then, you know, between that and, and his mafia connections, just, no. Now, if my family wasn't, you know, being threatened, if he wasn't using my family, you know, to try to keep me quiet, I honestly don't know what I would have done. I don't know if I would have just left, if I would have tried calling the cops, Told, tell them what I knew, what I knew, even though I really didn't have any proof. It was just it basically be, be, be my word against his and his family's word. I mean, he got busted for the drugs and stuff. Even his kids had a hard time believing that he did that shit. Like, he had everybody that was living there all believing this shit. I mean, and, and Joanne knew, knew him most of his life. Like they knew they knew each other for a really long time, and she didn't even fucking see what he was doing or or suspect that he had you know any kind of illegal goings on. I mean, fuck before mom um, he got married and moved into his own place with his with his ex-wife. Obviously, before they before they divorced, he was living. With Joanne, renting a room from Joanne. So, like this, all this bullshit between, I'm sure you guys are probably thinking it and listening to this story. And the detectives, when I was detained, when we were picked up at the pharmacy, didn't believe it. Their big question was, well, how can you live with somebody? How can you be, be working with somebody and not realize this? Well, the same thing can be asked to Joanne. Like, she literally rented out a room to this motherfucker. And she she didn't know, know it. So she was friends with him for a hell of a lot longer than I knew him for. She rented out a room to him at one point. Stayed friends with him after he got married and, and him and his uh, ex-wife moved out of there and got their own place and bounced from place to place. She had no fucking clue. Nobody did until he got arrested. So it really ain't that hard to believe that, you know, I didn't know what the hell was going on right away. It just didn't 
As far as the drug addiction that he had, there were telltale signs that I should have picked up on. I mean, I had friends that did similar drugs, so I should have been able to. But I wasn't focused on that. My my main focus was the fact that, that you know I needed to keep myself alive. I needed to, to make sure my family was safe. I needed to figure out how I was gonna gonna end that situation and defuse it without anything happening to my family. I didn't give a fuck about myself. And you know, luckily for me, you know, the pharmacist took care of that for me because he routed him out finally. After however many years he was in on this drug theft thing from his from his pharmacy, and he wound up going to jail. Um. Now, obviously, after he got caught, I mean, like I said in part two, he had time. He was given time to get his shit in order before he had to show up to prison, which I think is absurd. But whatever. So naturally, because we, we don't have the pharmacy no more, because I wasn't even allowed to go there after <clears throat> all this happened, like they they dropped us entirely. I don't know if they if they felt that the whole company was involved or if the pharmacy just didn't want to risk him showing up again or or, or what. But we lost him. Like almost immediately. Um, so I, obviously his supply of pills is now diminishing. I'm still getting some coming my way. Um, we were both taking less and less. Joanne was also taking some of the Vicodins. I was the only one taking the, the Vimes and the, and the Xanax. She wasn't. I was mainly doing that because I, I, I knew I had you know anxiety and depression issues. I wasn't yet diagnosed with the BPD, and I didn't yet hear from a shrink I didn't see yet that Xanax and Valium are like the worst things I could have taken considering I had BPD. And that, you know, for all I know, I made myself worse. But living through this, walking on eggshells, you know, I, I was, you know, taking the Valiums, taking the Xanaxes, thinking that they were really his. Now he's just, you know, passing some along to me, which I still shouldn't have done. That's still wrong, but young, stupid, stressed, anxiety through the roof, needed to calm the fuck down. You know what I mean? Um. At the, towards the end, um, I did... I realized that at some point in my two and a half years there, <laughs> I was taking so much Valium and Xanax that it wasn't so much like I was taking it for my depression, like I had started out doing, or thought I was doing for my depression and anxiety, um, but that it had become an actual addiction. And as me and Joanne and his ex-wife you know, got to talking with him not there, I mean, we, we couldn't talk when he was around, so, I mean, we spoke, but we had to be careful what we said to each other, <clears throat> because if we said the wrong thing, oh man, this, this guy, like, flipped the fuck out. I mean, I thought my paranoia was bad, this guy was like, so when I did have a chance to talk to Joanne or talk to his ex-wife, or, or really anybody, 
we all have to be careful from what we were saying, especially when he was around. But after he got locked up, uh, you know, we're all sitting around the kitchen table just talking, drinking coffee and talking. And we came to the conclusion that uh, because of the way my mind works, right, and because of the type of person that I am, and how much how I kept on pushing certain things when I, you know, had first shown up, that he was feeding me the Valium and the Xanax under the guise of trying to help me with my anxiety and, and depression and, and, and whatnot. But that the, the real reason was that he was trying to keep me under control. He didn't want me to realize too much, I guess, too soon or get too brave, so to speak. So he was feeding me the drugs to keep me under control. And if that was the purpose, well, I was scared shitless. I, I don't know if I want to say the drugs kept me under control, but I was scared shitless. I probably um, wasn't able to think as clearly as I would have been able to had I not been on the drugs or at least not as much as I was taking. Cause I, I was taking, I mean, it started out like a, a quarter bar of Xanax and like half a Valium. And, but by the end, I was taking like probably three or four Valiums a day along with like at least two bars, if not three full bars of Xanax a day. And like I said in part two, I looked like absolute shit. Like looking back, looking at, after I got out of there, a couple months passed by, you know, I'm trying to deal with what just happened. Um, I'm looking at uh, pictures of myself from that two and a half years, and I looked like absolute shit. I really did. I looked like freaking death warmed over, fucking skin and bones. Man, it really, really pisses me off that nobody, you know, I mean, no, my family and friends didn't see me, like, as often as I did before I took that job, before I started, before I, you know, accepted the business offer, but they saw me, when my brother started working with us, my brother saw me almost every damn day, and nobody mentioned to me, like, bro, you're starting to decay, like, what the fuck, are you eating enough, like, what's going on, nobody, the first remark that was made to me about anything to do with how I ended up over there didn't happen until after the situation was, was already over and I had already left. I think I, at, the, I, at that point I had um, moved in with my dad for a little while and I was there for a little, for a little bit before anything got said at all about what happened to me when I was over there. It's, uh, So, anyways, as all this stuff is going on, I'm popping, you know, Danex Valiums, Vikings. Um, I wouldn't say I had a Vicodin high exactly, because like I said, I, I mean, I had a back injury from when I was working at Target. I was an idiot. And, um, gave, fucked my back up real bad. I, I gave myself some nerve damage back there. And it hurt like a motherfucker. 
I mean, since then, I've more or less learned to deal with the pain. I have, I have good back days and bad back days where the pain is worse, but I've more or less learned to deal with it. But back then, the injury was still pretty fresh. And it hurt more often than not. So I'm going to assume that the Viking was more so going towards relieving my pain. Not so much this like stone high out there feeling people seem to think they get when they take Vicodins. Um, for those who don't know what Vicodin is, depending on what part of the country you're in, it's basically a lower tab, lower tab Vicodin, same shit. Um, we had the seven and a half milligrams and then 10 milligrams. So, you know, it wasn't, you know, and I was taking several of those a day, right from the beginning. And then, like I said, the, the, the Valium and the Xanax on top of that started out, you know, small dosages of those each and then just gradually went up toward, to the point where two, two and a half years later, I realized it would be it's become an addiction. The drugs were more were more most likely fed to me to keep me under control, keep my mind you know blurred, so I wouldn't get you know too mouthy with them or too brave or whatever you whatever however you want to look at it. But he really didn't need the drugs to do that. I was more concerned about my family. If it was just me, my family was never threatened. I have no idea what I would have done, but it would have been a completely different story. The fact of the matter is, you know, unless as long as they, because my family was threatened, I was like forever freaking high up on, on, on these drugs. I do remember having days that, you know, I didn't know if I was coming or going. Days I just felt like completely out of it. There were times where, you know, me and his son would go down into the basement, into one of the rooms that were being built with his friends, and we just smoke. We, his friends, homegrown stuff. Like, I, I found ways that I coped with what was going on, tried to relieve my anxiety a little bit but it was a very intense situation I did not want to be there I did not like to be like being there but I did get Joanne out of it and I do appreciate that I did learn a bit about business because you know despite all this shit that was going on despite everything that was going on on a pretty much daily basis getting worse by the day the longer I was there, the more that I stumbled upon, the worse it got. Business was still getting done. We were still going to our clients. We were still picking up clients. Going, giving quotes. Um, running accounts receivable. All that kind of shit. We're advertising. Um, I mean, we had our own yellow book rep. Like, we literally had one guy that would come out and see us and, and discuss our advertising and, and what books we want, wanted to raise in. Our, our own rep. 
<laughs> so all that we're still getting done. Now, granted, <clears throat> um, I did go, I did have a public speaking class in school to help me out with my public speaking. I took it twice. I think I failed it the first time. Um, and I did have family members that had their own businesses that I did talk to about business, did learn a little bit from them. I did learn a lot from this business because, well, I, now I'm not just talking to somebody and getting answers to questions. Like, this was literally hands-on. Now, I might have learned more if it was a more normal situation and I didn't have all this extra bunch of bullshit going on on the side of the business. If it was a normal, you know, regular situation, I probably would have learned a lot more. I probably would have been more focused on the business and paid more attention to the business. <clears throat> and I probably could have remedied it. Like I said, towards the end, I was able to land a $70,000 per month commercial contract, huge fucking building that, you know, I ended up basically forfeiting because the business was crashing. His son didn't didn't want no more. I was my fear of his death threat on me outweighed my desires to um, salvage what was left of the business. So the whole idea of you know forming my own business under my own name. Going back to that client that I nabbed and, you know, just explain the situation to him. And, you know, on all his invoices, it'd be the new name he sees, not the one that gave him the quote. Uh, trying to, to, you know, talk to my crew and have them, you know, work for me under the new company. That wasn't even a thought in my mind. <clears throat> the, only <clears throat> the only thought that I had in my mind after he got locked up, his son decided he didn't want the business no more. And this shit with, I had to make sure, me and his son both had to make sure we were at the phone at a set time every single fucking day, no matter what we were doing, to, to let him know what was going on. I, the only thing I thought in my mind was I wanted to get the fuck out of there. I mean, I actually had to reschedule the entire fucking night route around that fucking phone call, which pissed me off. Because if I wasn't available for that phone call to let them know what was going on day to day with the business, I got yelled at, I got threatened, and that's when he literally tells me that all he's gotta do is make one fucking phone call, and that's it, I'm, I'm done. Now, considering everything that I know to be true about him, I wasn't, you know, about to take any fucking chances. So, I left. His family didn't know, I don't even, I, Joanne didn't even know I was leaving. <clears throat> I would literally wait till everybody was, you know, in their rooms, relatively quiet, preferably asleep, so they wouldn't hear me. And I made trips back and forth 
to filling up my car with my shit and taking it to a freaking storage facility. And my other shit, <clears throat> I got most of my shit got destroyed in the flood down in the basement. So I hold all that off to the dumpster because I, tr I tried going through it to see what I can salvage. And the more I went through it, the more I was seeing was destroyed. So I don't know if I had anything that would have been salvageable or not. I just loaded everything up and, and tossed it in the fucking dumpster. I don't even remember what dumpster I used. I don't know if it was the 7-Eleven on the corner there or, or if it was one of the supermarket dumpsters. I don't... Actually, it was a dumpster at the strip mall right there that I threw everything into. But I was just so fucking pissed off that much of my shit got destroyed. I just... I didn't have it in me to, to keep on going through all my shit. So, I don't know if anything was salvageable or not, but I was able to salvage that wasn't in, in the flood. I took to a freaking storage facility. This took place over you know, a couple of days. Um, nobody knew about it. And then one night I just left. I was just gone. Um, and while, while I was moving everything before I officially left, I was, you know, calling my family and whoever, trying to figure out where I can go for a little while. And I eventually ended up where I was staying with my dad for a bit. Um, so after I left, got situated at my dad's and um, got my old job back that I had before I accepted the business opportunity. Uh, knowing Joanne's route, I literally went to each and every one of her fucking clients and every single 7-Eleven along the way that I figured she might be stopping at, trying to find her. Um, one night, I had my friends with me. My friends got pissed off. One in particular got pissed off because I think she might have had a thing for me. Maybe hoping that we would have gotten back together. I mean, we tried dating, I think, twice before my business. Uh, but I was looking for Joanne. And with her with me and one of my other friends with me, I finally found her at one of the 7-Elevens. And I went inside to talk to her. And, uh, well, apparently she was glad to see me because, now this is before we even got together. Like, at this point, we were, we're still just friends. But when she realized I was there, she literally turned around and jumped into my arms. Like, literally. Almost fucking knocked me over. I was not expecting that at all. I just wanted to see her. I wanted to, you know, let her know what happened, what I was doing, where I was. See how she was doing. We ended up getting together um, very shortly thereafter that. And then, and that was the beginning of our 12 year long relationship before cancer took her from me.
And I know I said this probably in part one of this story, but I'm going to say it again. Just so everybody can understand, you know, I did not enjoy going through this. It wasn't a choice of mine to put up with that shit for that long. I was literally walking on eggshells. My anxiety was like through the roof day in and day out. Stress levels higher than you can possibly imagine. And I had a lot of anger and rage building up. I did not like the way he was treating me. I didn't like the way he was talking to my brothers. The way my crew was bad-mouthing me because of my business partner. And then the sheer hatred that I got from his son. Because his son blamed a lot of this shit on me. Like, no, dude, your dad was doing all this stuff long before I came to the picture. I wasn't involved in any of this. I, did, I, I literally stumbled in on it with him already doing it. He was doing this years before I came along, and after I stumbled across it, all I did was keep my mouth shut. I wasn't part of it at all. Like, he'd go out by himself and leave me and his son to go out to take the crew to, 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 to do the clients occasionally, often. Or, um, we'd, we'd all go out, and if it was a client that took us a little bit of time to clean, he'd be, give either me or his son the order to, you know, make sure the crew gets the job done correctly, blah, 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 bullshit. And he had to go take care of something, and, he, and he'd, be, he'd be back to pick us up. For all I know, during these little disappearances he was going on, is when he was out making his drug deals and shit. You know, I wasn't involved in any of that. I knew I stumbled upon it. So, yeah, at some point, eventually, I didn't know that he was doing it. But I wasn't involved in it. But his son wanted to blame me for it because he didn't want to believe his dad was capable of that shit. Whatever. You know, it is what it is. Like I said in part two... He was very different, you know, with his family, depending on who was around. And when it came to his, yeah, just, um, so now after he was locked up and in prison and stuff, and, and I'm, I'm just tired of shit. And now Tim gone and he can't really see what I'm doing. And there was no immediate threat to to me personally or my family. And a lot of that rage started coming out. Um, and that's when when the chair incident happened, which I believe I, I, I mentioned in part one, um, where I don't know what the fuck was going on. I, I know I was working in the office doing something. I don't remember what you know put me over the top, but I just. I, lunged the fucking chair and like I like I said in part one we're talking a, a decent weighted fucking office chair this was not no light chair it was a good heavy office chair and it literally went from the desk at the back of the room all the way to the front of the room the wheels hit the door got stuck inside those wooden uh, whatever things you want to call them like instead of a glass pane window they had those wooden poles that come down with, with like a, just an empty space in between the poles 
when one of the wheels got caught in between two of those poles, and then the chair kind of swung to the, to the one direction, right? Went all the way across the room, hit the wall, bounced off the wall, shot across to the other side of the room, hit that wall, and then landed in the center of the floor. So it literally, you know, made the form of a cross before it finally landed. So that just goes so like how much rage I had built up and you know when I get that angry that full of rage you know what I'm capable of the, the strength and, and <clears throat> power and, and stupidity I'm capable of um there was another incident I don't I know somebody was with me I don't remember who I don't I don't know if it was Joanne that was with me that night or um if it was the other one, her family member that was with me that night, helping me do the clients, but I got fucking pissed off. I, I don't remember what we were trying to do. I, I believe we were trying to find a new client, and the GPS was being retarded. Like, he was trying to drive us into the middle of the water, into the water, into the woods. Like telling us that there's fucking roads where there ain't roads. Now this is before you know smartphones and everything like we have today. Like this was an, an old GPS, the old like Garmin type GPSs and the TomTom -Tom and shit like that. That you clip onto the uh, windshield. Um. So I literally took it down. I parked at a 7-Eleven. Ripped the GPS off the windshield and literally started hammering it into the steering wheel, cursing out the GPS, calling it all kinds of fucking damn names, making myself look look like a fucking idiot to whoever the hell it was that was with me. And you know I didn't stop banging the damn GPS, which was relatively new by the way. I mean we had just bought the fucking thing. We bought two of them. For two of the work vans, not that one before I broke it. I didn't stop smacking it until I literally heard the in the inside pieces of it rattling around. So you know, um, <clears throat> this is that shit like that is more or less how I how I used to deal with my frustrations, my stress. My anger. No, I never harmed any uh, any a person. I, I don't do that. I have, however, um, punched past people's faces, past their heads. Um, I have thrown shit in the direction, but like with the the point of missing them, just to like more or less to express how angry I was. Um, but no, I never, I never actually, uh, had a rage episode where I hurt somebody. It's usually objects for myself that I hurt. Um, actually, there was an incident before I, I left the situation and then went hunting for Joanne that... I was in my room and I, I I tried to commit suicide. Um, 
I failed miserably. I had a mark around my neck for a good, a good while. Joanne found me, got all fucking upset that I tried doing that. And she just sat there and, you know, just started talking to me, tried to calm me down. But this is one of the reasons why, you know, I feel that, you know, if there's one thing that was good, like I added this situation, was meeting her. Because she saw me, she saw how bad my depression can get. She, she was there for the chair incident. I mean, she, she saw me at my worst before we ever got together. And she still got with me. <clears throat> I was literally right in the middle of losing everything. The, the business, everything. And she was still with me. Stuck by me. So love like that, it's rare. So if I had to go through that hell with my former business partner and, and his retarded fucking business and all the crap that came along with it, if I had to go through that in order to can get her and in the 12 years I had with her before cancer took her from me, then I'm going to say it was worth it. Yeah, it, it fucked me up in the head. All these years later, I'm still thinking about it. Obviously. Um, it's just, it's one of those errors of my life that I don't think I'm ever going to get over at all. There are times that I wish, you know, that I did things differently, that I, that I could have avoided that whole thing. But then the, the problem is, well, if I never took the job, would I have ever met Joanne? And the answer to that is, I don't know. Good possibility I wouldn't have. And then there's always the following question of, well, if I didn't take the job, where would my life be better than it is now? With or without Joanne. Then, I don't know. I mean, before I started that job, before I accepted his offer, I did have a few bucks in the bank that I, I could have used to self-fund myself in something, anything. <coughs> kind of paid more attention to my own bank accounts and how much money I actually had sitting in there. Before it got more or less stolen from me. And then, you know, the following two and a half years of complete fucking hell. So, it's possible, financially speaking, my life could have been better. But, I don't know if I, if I, if I did things different. Avoided that opportunity. Even if my life would have been financially better at this point in time than it is currently, avoiding that mess, I don't know if I had never met Joanne and I ended up with somebody else, I don't know if I would have been as happy as I was with her. I don't know if half the shit that I did because of her 
I still would have done. The only thing I can say is I would have started a business of my own. I don't know what kind of business, but I but one would have been started regardless. Whether I was single, ended up, ended up meeting her anyway, got with somebody else instead, never meeting her at all. One thing for certain is that I would have started my own, a, a business of my own. Um, <clears throat> but the other aspects of my life that's happened since then is really only because of her. Like, I, I didn't give up on things because of her. I'm a lot calmer than I used to be because of her. Um, actually, I got, I was ordained back in 2010, started my ministry shortly thereafter, and naturally because of her. Like, around everybody else, I had this feeling like, I had something, something to prove. Like, I had to be a certain way. Like, of all the different hats that I wore, I had to, around certain people, I had to wear that specific hat. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? You know what I'm trying to say? But around Joanne, I was able to take all my hats off, hang them up, and just be me. Like, it didn't matter. And that felt good. Having somebody like that that I can literally just be me. I'm not just to support system. I'm not just your freaking goddamn bankroll to get your alcohol and your weed. I'm not just this. I'm not just that. I can literally be me. You know? Now, I'm not saying that I wasn't me, more or less, to my other friends, because I was to a degree. But there were parts of me that were hidden from a good number of my friends. Really, only my inner circle got to see, you know, most of me. But Joanne was really the first one that I allowed to see all of me. And it felt good. I am a little upset that cancer took away away from me. You know, that that shattered my, my life. It really did. But meeting her made the two and a half years of going through the bullshit with my former business partner fucking worth it. It really fucking did. But anyways, I dealt with what I dealt with for as long as I did because I didn't know how to get out of that situation without put without my family's lives being at risk. And I didn't know who I can trust, considering he did have mafia connections. He, he obviously wasn't scared of, you know, confronting my family. He destroyed my sister's car. He went knocking on my dad's door looking for me. You know, I, and the fact that he had uh, two precincts basically in his pocket you know I didn't know who I can go who I can turn to who I can trust you know <clears throat> so it was basically on me the I, I didn't see a way out until the pharmacist turned on him 
and then everything just started unraveling. That is when I finally saw a, a clean way out, or a relatively clean way out, and I took it. And like I said in part two, he did still try calling me when he got temp- when he was temporarily released from prison before he made a mistake and got locked up again. He did call me while well, I still had my New York numbers before I, before I changed my numbers. Um, he did try calling me. He did make a couple of, of threats uh, again. After I was already down here in Florida, he I was contacted and threatened yet again by this jackass. But you know, nothing came of it. I'm obviously still alright. My family is alright. I'm going to assume the asshole is still locked up, either that or dead. But you know, between you know, looking out for my own safety, for my family's safety, and the fact that you know, like I said, I was I was on pills basically all day, every day, every day, which had to have messed up my my, my thinking. Like I I know it was blurred. I mean, I there's obviously key events that I that I remember clear as day. Like it just happened yesterday. Um, but I'm sure when I was actually living it, going through it, my mind, well, I, re- I remember my mind like constantly racing, like <clears throat> a million miles a second. <clears throat> it's just, it's, it's hard to explain what, 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 what I was feeling, what my mind was like going through that. <clears throat> it was like, um... Picture having a panic attack, but the panic attack is on steroids. Okay, that was a, probably a really bad way of putting that, but you get what I'm trying to say. A panic attack on fucking steroids, right? And and you're literally like that. That's your state of mind every single day for two and a half years. That's basically the state of mind that I was in. I couldn't really think sure. I was trying to stay focused on my job. Um, I was trying to distract myself with other stupid things here and there. And you know, when I did have downtime, where we weren't working, I, I was you know trying to distract myself with Joanne's presence. We used to talk all the time in the, in the kitchen. Um, I tried multiple times before I finally just came out and told her half of the batter. I, I tried hinting at her that I, I was attracted to her. So there were stupid little things I was doing, and and you know stupid shit that. That I was trying to do to cope with situation, try to calm myself down a little bit, but I was basically ha- in, in a 24/7, 365 state of an anxiety-filled fucking panic attack on steroids, like literally. 
and then you couple that with getting very minimal sleep. There, there were nights where I think I only managed to get like all two hours of sleep <clears throat> because we had to go back at the end to go back to work. Huge fucking drops that had to get done. And um, I think two of our crew members were, were minors, so we couldn't really ask them to come out and work in the middle of the fucking night, especially during the school year. Um, at the time, my brothers worked for, worked for us. When they started working for us, they were also minors. So at that point in time, it would have been four minors working for us, I think. I don't know if the one guy would have turned 18 by that point or not. I don't remember. Um, then we had the one jackass that did not listen about, you know, stripping the wax on the floors we had to do the one time. He, he was told not to touch the fucking goddamn uh, machine, the buffer, to let me or my business partner do it. Because that, that floor got like super, super fucking slippery. He did it anyway, <clears throat> didn't listen, went fucking flying across the goddamn floors, not prepared for that, for the power of that machine, and busted his fucking chin open all over the goddamn floor, so my business partner had to take him to the fucking hospital, <clears throat> left me and the guys there to finish that job, that was freaking fun, but yeah, so... <clears throat> it's not like I calmly went through this. It wasn't a choice of mine to put up with his bullshit for as long as I did. It was more of a safety issue than the fact that despite not being able to, to think as clearly as I should have been able to, as I would have been able to, had not been taking so much Xanax and volumes, and had I been able to get a little bit more sleep every night, I was trying to find a safe way out that would have put me and my family at the least amount of risk. Because <clears throat> the fact of the matter is, whether you believe this is a true story or not, even though it is a true story, the people can, can confirm this. The fact of the matter is, you know, he is a dangerous person. He did have mafia connections. He did have uh, two precincts in his pocket. And I was just not... I had every reason to believe his threats. I had no reason whatsoever to doubt that he would have kept his word on, on his threats. So because of that, my mouth stayed shut until the very end. And ironically enough, after he was arrested for the for you know the drugs stealing from the pharmacy and I tried telling people at that point what was going on and my brothers saw the tail end of it to back up at least the parts that they saw nobody believed me at least not right away it took a while for for people to to, to finally believe what happened it actually took somebody I'm not saying who that was um, a detective, now retired, to, to look into this asshole in order for everybody I told to finally believe me. Because now we have 
can somebody can have your mutually known that looked into it themselves that obviously was not part of the situation as it was unfolding they were completely outside of it <clears throat> that looked into it and was able to verify different things that I said only then did people because I, I, I will agree it does sound a little crazy it does sound a little far-fetched but it is 100% true I have no reason to, to lie I have no reason to make shit up this all, all this actually happened and am I do Do I regret um, putting up with it for that long? Yeah, I do. What I should have done um, when I f first first walked in on seeing all the pills laid out on the table, into nice neat little piles, and being you know packaged in, in the Ziploc baggies. <clears throat> that was the first sign that I had that anything was gonna go wrong. And that is when I should have said, well, look, I won't say anything about this, but I can't be around it, and left. That's what I should have done. Yes, to a degree, I do regret not doing at least that much. At least by that point, I had I had met Joanne already. Um, we weren't as close as we as we ultimately became. But I had already met her at that point, and I am almost positive. Um. That had I left at that point and I tried to stay in contact with her, we would have stayed in touch and we probably still would have ended up getting together. I have absolutely zero reason not to believe that. Um, as far as everything else goes, I don't know. Like, I want to say that I regret, you know, not acting on it. Because there were times that I wanted to take him out. I'll put it that way. You know what I mean by that. The problem with that is that would have destroyed my life. And... I wouldn't be here right now to be making this podcast. I wouldn't have been around for the 12 years that I had Joanne with me. For her. I wouldn't have been around at all. I'd be, I'd be locked up. The only debatable question there is, well, would I be in... Would, would I be in um, a little 8 by 8 with bars or 6 by 8 by bar with bars or would I be in a padded cell <clears throat> that, that, that's really the only debate there is which kind of 
locked up would I have been? <clears throat> but I would have been locked up if I if I took him out. But that thought did cross my mind <clears throat> a lot. A lot, a lot. <clears throat> I mean, Ken, as you know from part two, he had guns. Lots of them. Ken, even though I didn't know the combination to his safes for the pistols, I know where he kept the rifles, I know where his son kept his rifle, I, I knew their routines. The only thing is, his guns were all kept in his room, and when he wasn't home, his room door was normally locked, so I'd literally have to either pick a lock or bust the door or whatever to get to his guns. His son's gun probably would have been easier to get to, but here again, I would have needed his son to not be home and nobody to see me going in and out of his fucking son's room. Um, but that thought did cross my mind a lot. It's not like I wasn't thinking of different, really drastic things I could have done to end that situation. As far as those scenarios go, I don't regret not doing that. When it comes, as far as that goes, I definitely prefer doing what I did. Dealing with the situation until it was over. I needed a nice peaceful way out. I really prefer not be locked up. Um, and the, the way I was back then, I, it probably would have been a padded cell. Like I, I was completely fucking bonkers back then. Joanne calmed me down like a lot, a lot. Like you, you have no idea. As I start talking about my past, I'll, I'll try to make it like painfully obvious what I was like back then. But I changed a lot thanks thanks to Joanne over the years. I am literally, I am literally a completely different person because of her. Um. But anyways, now that we are heading over an hour of this episode. And I really did not intend on it being this long. I really only wanted this part of the story really just to tie up loose ends, just go over, you know, why I put up with the shit for so long. Um, that is kind of the idea of, you know, hashing over my past is to, to you know, mention what took place and how I dealt with it. Well, the first two parts were basically me saying what happened. So, I just wanted to spend a few minutes saying how I dealt with it. And that was pretty much, you know, weed when I had it available, alcohol when I had it available, um, the occasional, you know, side trips away from work. And then, you know, my infatuation with Joanne was, was my, you know, 
that's how I how I dealt with the situation. Basically. I only wanted to spend a few minutes going over that. Just who was out there, you know, how I was how at the time <clears throat> not dealing with that situation. And you know, other thoughts of you know what was going through my head that I could have done, wanted to do, that I didn't for obvious reasons. Um but I really was not expecting this episode to be this freaking long. So if you actually stuck through the whole thing, I appreciate you. I really do. Uh, if you haven't listened to part two yet, please subscribe. Listen to part two. I will see you in the next episode. Have a wonderful day. Hi, everyone. This is JJ, the co-founder of Good Pods. If you haven't heard of it yet, Good Pods is like Goodreads or Instagram, but for podcasts. It's new, it's social, it's different, and it's growing really fast. There are more than 2 million podcasts, and we know that it is impossible to figure out what to listen to. On Good Pods, you follow your friends and podcasters to see what they like. That is the number one way to discover new shows and episodes. You can find Good Pods on the web or download the app. Happy listening! Thank you for listening to this episode of The Red Conrad Show. Don't forget to subscribe. And remember, if you're not listening on Spotify, Spotify is the home of my subscription-only content. So any stories you want to hear that have part one or another missing pieces on the, on the free side, you got to hop over to Spotify and subscribe to the, subscrip- to the subscription content to get the uh, missing pieces of those particular stories. I will see you in the next episode.